the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans who need another app in their system, this is the one to get. Download the app. Start at, start at theathletic.com slash spot track. Subscribe, get 40% off. Personalize it. Tell, tell them which team you like. Tell them what sport you watch the most. And you will get exclusive ad-free content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Tonetti. Big sports weekend. Tons of game sevens in the NHL. I've been able to watch quite a few. Phenomenal finish to the Boston Celtics-Milwaukee Bucks series. And the unbelievable finish to the Dallas Mavericks-Phoenix Suns series. Luka Doncic has officially arrived, folks. If you think so yet, he has officially arrived. So, the NBA is pretty easy right now. We're down to our final four, for all intents. And uh, Scott Allen, Keith Smith will be on next week. Got to break all that down because they've been doing the work on the offseason stuff, right? The, the teams that didn't get this far, that's for sure. They're catching up a little bit here. But time to talk about some of these teams that are in the, in the, in the final four because it's a really interesting crop of players. You know, Luca, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then some really experienced guys like a Jimmy Butler who has just keeps on being Jimmy Butler. And Eric Spolster keeps on being Eric Spolster, right? And, of course, the old vets, those warriors. The Splash Brothers. Clay Thompson did his thing. Steph Curry really hasn't shown up at max Steph Curry just yet, but the team as a whole is is starting to find their way, and I think they're exactly where many of us thought they would be. Right, the injury situation was improving. Steph Curry stayed was you know was able to stay healthy for most of this season. They were able to kind of grind through this one, get themselves into a decent seed, and I think this is exactly where we wanted them to be. Really, this is good for basketball. This is the highest-paying team in, in basketball by a ton. Their luxury tax bill is going to be ridiculous. We'll have Keith and Scott break that down soon and really break down the financials of just everything that's happening here. So look for that in the upcoming show. The final four in the NBA for very, very different teams for very, very different reasons. It's a big baseball show today. I'm going to run through six or seven points that have just been racking my brain, right? Like MVP candidates and what that means for some contract situation. The most surprising team, the least surprising team, the most surprising players, the least surprising players. Some true value stuff based on Spotrack's TVS. Um, just across the board. And then uh, some rookies, some young guys who I think either have some sticking power and are in line for one of those big-time rookie extension contracts, pre-arb extensions, and uh, some guys who may be uh, a year or two away, right? I mean, Jared Kellenick was just option, a couple of guys like that. You can just see when they're in the batter's box that they're just not quite there yet, right? And that, that's what makes a Juan Soto and a Shohei Otani just so freaking phenomenal to watch because they get it. doesn't matter how old they are. They get it. They understand exactly what's happening pitch by pitch, play by play. So I'll break down some players and some teams that are on the, on the goods and the bad sides right now, about a quarter into this season, and then some trade candidates. Some of these contenders are going to need some help in certain positions. And it's time to start talking about the teams that are at the bottom of the standings right now, why they're there, and what pieces they may have to give away. And then at the very back end of the show, because I'm living in seven different worlds right now, a quick flip to the NFL. The 49ers, I think, are an underrated, sneaky good team. Their, their aura has sort of calmed a little bit since the Debo Samuel stuff kind of hit us in the face. But I don't think it's gone away. And I don't think anybody's really addressed what's actually happening here. And I, I try to really understand that. 
and maybe give you some insight as to why everything seems to have paused, how long it may pause, what may happen during the pause, and then what eventually will be the end result in, in San Francisco with absolutely no cap space right now, two players who definitely need contract extensions, fully deserve them, and certainly the quarterback situation between Garoppolo and Trey. So that's at the back end of the show. But first, we are proud to be presented by Dynasty Owner, the Dynasty Fantasy Football League that uses real NFL salaries. AAV, right? You got to be a real GM in this one. This is the this is the real deal, right? When when a player signs a new contract, so for instance, Tyreek Hill was a probably pretty good value for you at 18 million and changed the past couple of years. In fact, that's really good value for a player that can do what he can do. But now he's 30, and now he's with the Dolphins, and now Tua is, is his quarterback. So if you own Tyree Kill in your Dynasty Fantasy Football League. Are you buying? Are you selling? Are you accepting the new contract, AAV? Because those are the decisions you have to make when you're in a salary cap fantasy football league. And that's just one of the simple ones, right? These, this league that they put together, this app, this system, complicated, it's fun, it challenges you. You can set it up with your friends, you can play with a bigger group, you can play for money, you can put side bets in. There's a lot going on, there's a lot to learn. So now's the time to start. Figure it out right now in May. Get your situation figured out. Draft some teams, bring in some, some of the new rookies, understand how this works, and uh, you will really enjoy yourself come September when this thing gets kicked off and week one starts. DynastyOrder.com gets you started today. You will not be disappointed. That's DynastyOrder.com. All right, I want to start today with a quick spin around Major League Baseball. Knee deep in the uh, contention situations. We're starting to get some trade candidates. I will have a few of those mixed into this mess. But first, Kind of like a quarter season awards here. My biggest surprise. I want to say the Yankees. <laughs> because, look, I know they were projected 90 to 95 wins with a lot of the, uh, the stat nerd stuff. I just didn't see this one coming together this quick, and I didn't think they had the starting pitching. However, having prepared a little bit for this, the Yankees have played to date. May 15th, the third easiest schedule in baseball. The rest of the way, their remaining schedule ranks 18th. So slightly easy the rest of the way out. Third easiest so far, slightly easy the rest of the way out. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with their division. With obviously, you know, Baltimore, we knew what they were going to be. The Boston falling off a cliff here has certainly aided and abetted that situation, but it's a, it's a nice setup for the Yankees who have lost nine games to date right now, which is just not what I expected out of the game. I knew they were going to be in contention. I knew they were going to have playoff aspirations. I didn't think we'd be talking about them with this kind of, uh, of levity 35 games into the season. I just didn't think they had it. I really didn't. Plus 69 run differential right now. So they're my big surprise in terms of teams. There's certainly other ones out there. The Twins doing what they're doing is outstanding. I think that entire division is, is going to come to at least top three closing for the remainder of the season. Everything else is status quo for me, right? Giants, Dodgers, Padres beating each other up, but all relatively close. Brewers doing their thing. Cardinals hanging in, like always. Mets doing their thing. Astros doing their thing. Angels, I expected them to be better. And that's exactly where they are. So uh, team-wise, the Yankees being 25 and nine at the time of this post is the most surprising thing. And then 
uh, conversely, Boston, 13 and 21, has to be the biggest surprise in the opposite direction. And there's really no explanation for this outside of the fact that their rotation and their bullpen just, they, they didn't have it. They didn't, they didn't really fix any problems. They were hoping that internal things like players getting healthy, some players coming back, maybe some role changes were going we're gonna to be the adjustments that were necessary. And there's still plenty of time for things to get better. But out of the gate, this, that is certainly the, the biggest negative surprise team-wise. If I'm talking players, it's hard to look away from Eric Cosmer right now, who was, I think, an hour away from being a New York Met, maybe a couple of other teams. There were some serious blockbuster trade packages built in for Eric Cosmer and some, some relief pitching. That didn't, you know, that didn't come to fruition. And I think it was Hosmer. I think he was the piece that a lot of teams said, nah, I can't do it. I don't want to take on that contract. I mean, we're talking 21 million cash this year, excuse me, 20 million cash this year. He can opt out after this year, but it's 13, 13, 13 from here. He, at this rate, two months ago, right? He was opted in and he was going to have to deal with the fact that he was taking a $7 million haircut the next three years, uh, respectively. Now, what he's doing out there with power, with average, with everything, all the advanced metrics, and certainly holding the Padres forward up, right? Him and Machado have been one of the biggest one-two punches in the entire game. He's probably an opt-out candidate right now. 32 years old and change, headed for 33. So it's risky business. You know, is three for 39 good enough for your age 33 to 36? It probably should be. But the way he's playing right now is absolutely a surprise and at least puts his contract in a bit of a question mark after the 2022 season. I mentioned Machado. should be no surprise that he's finally figuring things out on that team. It's without Tatis Jr. too, which is nuts, right? I mean, they're getting middle of the line of power from guys certainly who have experience. But what happens when Tatis gets back in that lineup, can they be, can this be the season that they blow past the Giants and at least stay in contention with the Dodgers for the remainder of 2022? I think it's possible. They certainly have the pitching. They have eight legitimate starting pitchers. And I'm, I'm not being facetious. They have just an absolute stable full of, of rotation work to the point of where they, they probably can sell. I think a couple of those names should be on the July slash August deadline. But Having that kind of riches, especially during the dog days, is just that's the right way to build your baseball team, especially if you've got young bats and even some vets who are doing what Eric Cosmos is doing right now. We have a stat on Spotter called the true value stat. It basically takes production, some advanced metrics, a little bit of war, calculates it with money, so basically their average salary for their contract, and says, All right, where do you rank? What is your current grade, your value grade? in 2022 for this season. Shouldn't surprise you that players like Taylor Ward, Aaron Judge, Jordan Valvarez, Jazz Chisholm sit at the top of this list. Machado at 30 million a year is sixth, according to our value stat. So you can understand what kind of season he's having. Mike Trout is eighth. He's usually top five, despite the fact that he is the number one position player at average salary in, in baseball and has been for quite some time. So it, it's a good mix at the top, but obviously, you know, I like to scroll all the way down to the bottom of this list periodically throughout the season. And if I look down there, Joey Votto's down there. He's had a rough go. And uh, he's on a team that has completely given up. So he, he sits at the bottom, but I'm giving him a pass right now. I still think he's a pretty nice player. I'd like to see him get out of there. 
You know, I, I don't know if he's the easiest guy to get along with in a locker room. Maybe he's not the, the, the perfect contention ad player. But at this stage of his career, it would be nice to see him win some ball games. That's for sure. And uh, I think he's got some juice left in that tank. But right above him, second last, 276 in terms of qualified grades in their true value system is Marcus Simeon. And that's a big ouch. All right. Marcus Simeon had an, a ridiculous year with the Toronto Blue Jays last year and uh, was headed to free agency. You know that's a recipe for disaster often. And the Texas Rangers bit the hook, went seven years, $175 million on him to play second base, basically. And then they signed a $300 million shortstop in Cordy Seager. They're sitting near the bottom of, of the league right now in the standings. And all the metrics go along with it. And Simeon is struggling at the plate. Certainly he can field, you know, that's never going to be a problem. And it does sound like he's one of those leaders you want on your, on your team and your dugout, things like that. But at seven for 175, right? And six years of those left to go. He's sitting there with seven doubles, 20 hits, no triples, no homers, eight RBIs, 25 strikeouts, a 157 average and a minus war right now. That's what he, that's what the big free agent signing has been for Texas right now. Sorry, the second biggest, right? Corey Seager has been all right but in and out of the lineup. So I'm not going to kill him too much here. So that's essentially, if I give the, all the Reds players a pass here, and I think I should, Marcus Simeon is basically at the bottom of this value grade right now. And uh, at this point of the season, he's the, he's the player to call out here in terms of dis- disappointments thus far. If I quickly switch that over to pitchers, our true value statistic, it gets uh, even more interesting the best value pitcher, starting pitcher in all of baseball right now, according to our, our, our spot track true value stat, is Pablo Lopez. I name maybe some of you have not heard. Maybe many of you have not heard. The Miami Marlins have been pumping out starting pitching for years now. Uh, easily four to five years that things have been kind of percolating. Unfortunately, they just don't have the bats to go with it. Now, they're going to win a bunch of ball games, all right? They're going to win. They're going to be spoilers for a lot of teams, including my Mets. It happens every single year, and it's because of this pitching staff. And a couple of nice players, Jazz Chisholm, players like that. But they've, unfortunately, with as much success as they've had in international signing for these players and some draft picks, they've missed on a heck of a lot of position player draft picks, high draft picks. Players that are either sitting in the minor system, on another roster right now, trying to figure it out, or flat out bust, just busted out of Major League Baseball. So they just haven't been able to make that big collective run like Houston has done, like we're seeing Toronto do in terms of putting it all together with a small market system, you need to have five or six hits in the draft. You need to have four or five hits internationally. And then, of course, a couple of vets coming in via trade or free agency. So I think they're in more, more of sell mode than buy mode. But with this pitching staff, you know how this works. If you've got it, this, you're 65 to 70% of the way there already. So I, I can't imagine they're going to sell pieces off. But the reason I point out Pablo Lopez, and, and he's just one of a few names on this, on this rotation right now, is... If the train does fall off the tracks here for Miami, and it's possible, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it should be, but if it does and they become buyers, they're going to be serious, serious sellers at the deadline if, if they want to be, to the point of where every contender is going to be asking for these players because these are the arms you want, a couple of years left of arbitration, maybe, maybe the perfect time to strike, and it's going to be big-time returns for Miami. So they have a real opportunity here to either A, Rebuild this thing on the, on the fly as quickly as possible. They go through their spurts where they'll, they'll spend hundreds of millions of dollars over an 18-month span to really go all in 
and then they have to rip it right down immediately after whether it works or not. And that's just how they operate. And we have to learn to live with that at this stage. They they do have some pitching, like probably enough pitching. Will they be sellers to kind of turn these, these ridiculous arms into a load of prospects or maybe even some actual, you know, MLB ready players. Is that the plan in August for Miami or is it the exact opposite? We're going we're gonna to slowly start to buy, starting at this deadline, maybe even a little earlier, start to bring in some bats to try to complement the staff and give Don Mattingly a real chance to put together a team. Because look, they've been close. They've been fringe right there. And if the Mets fall off the, fall off the, you know, the track with injuries, the, we have already seen that happen to the Braves. And Acuna, it's, it sounds like, is in trouble again here. There's a real chance. Philly's not going to be a full season you know, team. They're just built one way. They're a one-directional team. So... This is a team that has the recipe to go quickly to the top. Maybe not all the way, but close enough for their standards. So really interesting team to watch over the next two to three months as will they be major sellers where everybody in the league is looking at them or will they be dabbling in the buying market and trying to bring in some names, maybe even some damaged goods on other rosters that they think they can flip. Something we see Tampa Bay do across town there quite a, quite a bit. So just a team that's sitting there with some weapons, especially some arms, that could be doing some damage here shortly. All right, a couple of trade candidates that are certainly starting to bubble up to the surface here as we approach Memorial Day. Early, very early, but it does, I, I get the feeling with the offseason we just had, which was kind of truncated, of course, because of the lockout, that teams are kind of in different modes right now and, and contenders are not going to be waiting around. And look, Quite frankly, because of, of how some of these divisions are laid out, I mentioned the NL West specifically. You know, it's a one-game difference between Dodgers, Giants, and Padres, and that could flip at any moment. So you're going to want to be striking before the other team does, and, and, and there's not going to be much to wait for in terms of getting that extra value late in July. There's pitchers on these lists, right? Frankie Montas for Oakland. Oakland's just going to continue to sell pieces, even though they can play some ball and hit some home runs. I have to imagine Luis Castillo falls off Cincinnati. He has to. He just has to. The Reds have to completely rip this thing apart at this point. And, uh, and then it comes down to Boston. Boston has three players, in my opinion, that are extremely intriguing. One, I'm not seeing on a lot of trade lists, but boy, do I think it's coming. I really do think it's coming. I think it's a Mookie Betts light situation for Rafael Devers, who I believe should be an MVP candidate based on what he can do with the bat and at third base. And there's some really prominent teams out there that could, that could use an upgrade at third base. It may be their weakest position, the Mets, the Dodgers. It's just, it's just a glaring need for certain teams out there right now. We saw what it did in St. Louis when they brought Nolan Arenado on and it sort of solidified that infield. I would put St. Louis in the same conversation now at the shortstop position. So while Devers for me is on the list, he does have a couple of years left in terms of arbitration. All right. He's got all of this year, all of next year. This is probably the time to strike. I'm just not hearing enough rumblings to think that he will be on the, uh, on the trade deck this year. But I don't think Boston's going to pay him $200 million either. So at some point in time, that's a name that's coming. The name that's already on the list, maybe at the top of the list for some people, is shortstop Xander Bogarts, who has an opt-out. And St. Louis just, uh, just optioned Paul DeYoung after a bunch of years and, and some, a real decline situation at the shortstop position. They don't really have a guy who is ready to come right now and step in and take that role. There's some prospects they've called up who are taking the reps right now. You know they'll go shopping for 
some bargain shopping if they want to, if they have to. But this is a legitimate, not only rental for the rest of the year, but a chance to sign this guy long-term, sit him next to Arenado on the left side of the infield and really have a roster. And, and, and you put together that with the, the young outfield they put together in St. Louis and now a couple of arms that seem to be working out, even though they've got some injuries in that rotation. If they're going to keep pace with the Brewers in the division, and like I said, they're hanging around, right? They haven't been able to catch them just yet this year, but every year, the past two, three years, they've been hanging, and then they get there, get themselves in. Bogarts is just a big upgrade. He's a massive upgrade, and it's a perfect fit. So that, that's at the top of my list right now in terms of what Boston can do. So Devers is a, is a, for me, he's on the list. I'm just not seeing it anywhere else to be able to kind of validate that, that line of thinking yet. Bogarts for sure is. And then Nate, Nate Evaldi, who is struggling like hell on that mound right now in Boston. And I know there's a lot of people probably begging to get him out of there. I don't think he's washed. He did have some injury issues the past 18 months. So maybe he's still climbing back on that hill. But he's a starting pitcher with experience and postseason experience that you have to think one of these contenders will be looking for. So that NL West, I'm sure, is thinking about it. St. Louis could even be thinking about it to fix some of their injury situations. And, uh, you know, the Mets have been banged up here with DeGrom and now Tyler McGill going on the, on the IL here recently. Everybody needs starting pitching, with the exception of the Padres, right? And maybe actually the Giants, who did so much work on that this offseason as well. These are the names you're going to hear, right? Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo, Nate Valdi. Maybe if the Phillies start to implode, you start to look at that. Maybe if Cleveland starts to slip, you start thinking about Savali or Shane Bieber being added to this list. And then, as I mentioned, what happens to those great arms in Miami if they become buyers or sellers in July? So those are the names I'm hearing thus far. I've got some, some role players I'd put in this list. I, the Yankees and Joey Gallo don't seem long for each other. Everybody saw that coming, by the way. The Nelson Cruz signing in Washington seemed weird when it happened. He's holding up his end of the bargain. I think he's still got some, you know, enough left to finish off this 2022 season as a full-time DH. I don't know why that would be with Washington, though, right? I, I assume he's going to slide over to a contender at some point in time. Um, that may be one that waits till, till the last minute, though, to see if there's some good value. But those are the names that I've been seeing. Like I said, there's maybe a few more in my brain that I'll be bringing up as we get down the line a little bit past Memorial Day into June, July. But it's been... a uh, uh, the, the Boston stuff just makes everything so interesting because that division was supposed to be neck and neck with Toronto, Boston, and New York, and Tampa. And having Boston slide so far down this early, you've got to think there's at least two or three names that could be floated around and really seriously contended for trades over the next couple of weeks. All right, and finally, it's a, it's a league where the young kids are getting paid basically before they step into the batter's box, right? We've talked about some of these players already that have cashed in. Evan White was kind of one of the first to do this. And uh, it's been a big deal ever since. Maybe there's been maybe a dozen out there, under 25 players that had very, very little Major League Baseball experience that got massive contract extensions. Wander Franco probably being the biggest and the latest, most recognizable name to do so in Tampa Bay. So let's talk about a couple of players who are next, right? Who's, who's kind of burning through this 2022 season as a youngster, maybe even as a rookie, and uh, on pace to do that. I thought it might be Bobby Witt, even though I, I knew the Royals weren't going to have much around him to kind of preserve, maybe even hold him up in terms of, of the hitting. But it doesn't seem like the eye is there right now. He doesn't he'd appear to be baseball batter box ready. You know what I mean? And, and that certainly was the case with Jared Kellenick, who just got optioned in Seattle. And uh, his struggle was a big part of why Seattle's seven games out of, out of first place right now in that division. So that's always the eye test, and, you know, no pun intended. It's literally 
you know, everybody can hit a hundred. We get it. That's what you're growing up with now. That's what the high school kids are throwing at these days. So can, can you be, can you sit in the slider? Can you sit on a cutter? Can you understand how these things are working? Can you see it coming out of the hand? It's, it's a science. It's a gift. You know, that's why we, we applaud players like Juan Soto so damn much because he was doing this the second he stepped onto the field. You could just see that he had a Manny Ramirez type eye on him. And oh, by the way, could hit the ball 500 feet. So it's not an accident when these guys get up and they do, they, they're able to sustain that kind of batter box presence. I've had the pleasure of seeing Julio Rodriguez in Seattle over the past couple of days here playing the Mets. And I've seen him a couple of times now in some Cleveland series and things like that. Uh, this kid's the real deal. The real deal. He is figuring it out more and more every single series. They're going to give him more opportunities. He's going to have more big hits, more clutch hits. I think he understands the difference between when a home run is necessary and when I shouldn't be thinking home run. I think he's already got that in his brain. Somebody's been coaching that into his body already. Just seems like he is a, well past his years in the batter's box. Plays a hell of an outfield. Seems like a really good kid. I've got my, my money behind this kid right now. And there's a few others, right? Mackenzie Gore is having a good start here. There's a couple of twins that, got, that came up because of injuries. I've really got my eye on here. Certainly Suzuki in Chicago with the Cubs came up, came up blazing, cooled a little bit, but he's going to have some real fun times in Wrigley Field come summer once this weather improves a little bit. And then, of course, Stephen Kwan with Cleveland, who uh, took us all by surprise here. And he's certainly going to be an above-average player, but I don't think what he was doing early on is sustainable by any means. Those are the names, though. But for me, the, uh, the double asterisk is next to Julio Rodriguez. And that's not a hot take, right? That's not... That's like the whole, that's the rookie of the year favor, basically. But you could just see it when you watch this kid live now that he's, he's figuring it out more and more. He's not a one trick pony. He's not just looking to pop the ball out of the park. And that's, that's a real big deal, obviously right now in today's game. And, uh, he's got, he's got everything. He's a bit of a five tool freak and, uh, I, I'm a sucker for those guys. So Julio Rodriguez is the name I have right now in terms of the youngsters that I think have a real chance and probably should be thinking big-time payday as soon as possible. All right, last thing. I pulled the MVP odds from FanDuel recently. Did a quick deep dive into that because having Aaron Judge in this conversation is just fun. It's just fun because we all experienced him turning down the offer. We all experienced Brian Cashman getting in front of the microphone and saying, this is exactly what we, what we offered him. He said no. This is where we stop. We're going to let him go do his thing for 2022. And hopefully we can figure this out before he hits the open market. But if not, then that's where we're going. And it sure seems like Aaron Judge and his camp are, are saying, we're going to bet on ourselves. We're going, to, we're going to turn this offer into you know, a three and not a two. And everybody's going to be happy at the end. Well, he's certainly holding up his end of the bargain. <laughs> he is. Uh, he's, ha- he's carrying this Yankees team. I mean, everybody's hitting a little bit on the Yankees, but Aaron Judge is as locked in as Aaron Judge has been, can be, and uh, should be right now in the middle of that Yankees lineup for sure. So it got me thinking. Just straight up MVPs. I went back 15 years here, 2007. How many of these MVPs were in, on an expiring contract? How many of these players were basically saying, I'm betting on myself, and then when I, when I win an MVP or when I win a World Series, everybody's going to have to offer me max money. Because that's just how this stuff works, right? It's what have you done for me lately? It's the eye test. Well, it certainly wasn't many. 
All right. It certainly wasn't many, but there was one very recently. And uh, I should say there was one very recently that got as close as I think we, we were going to get over these past 15 years. And that's, of course, Freddie Freeman, right? The 2020 National League MVP, then the 2021 National League World Series champion with the Braves, who then walked away, signed a big old deal with the Dodgers, and, and hasn't looked back since. That's probably as good as we're going to get. Because I can tell you right now, I got 15 years of data in front of me. The only one that sort of counts, and it's because he had an opt-out available, is A-Rod back in 2007 when he opted out with the Yankees and then re-signed basically to another $200 million contract to bring his career earnings well north of $400 million in the baseball field. So that's really the only example we have of a true, I'm going to win the MVP and I'm going to get paid right now because they have to pay me. Not because I'm working out an extension, we're going to renegotiate my contract. None of that. Flat out, I'm getting to an expiring situation. I'm going to win the MVP. And then a month later, I'm walking into free agency and somebody's got to max me out. All right, that's it. It's basically Freeman and nothing else. We've had some players be one year away. Freeman, obviously. Jose Abreu in Chicago. Last year, you know, Otani's one year away, right? Once he gets through this season in 2022, he'll be eligible for a free agent contract. So there's been some of that, right? Where you can smell it. You can see it down the road. Joe Maurer forever ago was one year away from a big contract. Other than that, these are players who are are already locked in for a long time. Mike Trout had 11 years left the last time he won MVP. John Carlos Stanton had 11 years left. Bryce Harper had 10 years left when he was the 2021 MVP last year. It's a lot of that, right? Which, Which says to me, A, youngsters don't win this thing ever, ever. I mean, when Mike Trout won originally in 2014, it was insane. And we've had some of that. You know, if you go way back to the, to the, the steroid years. We can talk Ryan Brown. We can talk Josh Hamilton a little bit. But this is, a, this is an old man's award. This is a seasoned veteran's award. Now, that could change. Certainly, Otani was, was a different animal last year in that regard. We've seen Bellinger do this and then fall off a cliff almost immediately after winning it. Yelich kind of had a, 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 you know, a step back after his 2019, uh, 2018 MVP award, but he is finding himself again this year for the Brewers. It's just one of those things. You know, every league has it differently. Every league has it, you know. But generally speaking, and, and the reason I wanted to bring this up was there's such an, an insurgence of youth in Major League Baseball, so much so that some of the veterans now, if you're maybe under 15 years old, you're not worth a damn to those kids, right? You're not worth a damn. They're looking at the Tatises and the Vlad Guerreros and some of these youngsters I mentioned that are flat out rookies this year as the faces of baseball. You know, when a player like Pujols or Kershaw or Grinky or Verlander, you know, they're just old guys pitching balls and trying to swing at this point. And, and I get that. There's a, it's a very divisive sport right now. And I think based on who you are and maybe where you are in life, there are two different ways to look at the game. But this specifically is, you know, this is a five-plus year, years of experience to war. And it just always has been. And now even more so with players like Harper kind of running back into it. So, you know, Judge will be six, plus, six years in if he can pull this one off this year. Mike Trout's in this conversation. We know how that goes. By the way, a fourth for Mike Trout would be absolutely insane. And I'm rooting for that. I'm 100% rooting for this. The fact that he's in this conversation is very good for baseball. 
But let me give you the uh, the odds real quick. It's Trout right now, then Jose Ramirez, who just got paid in Cleveland, kind of surprisingly. Then there's Judge. Then there's Shohei, who Judge and Shohei could be in similar situations. And then Vlad Guerrero, basically, t- you know, fifth in the American League of MVP ads right now. And, and, you know, I said this last year, and I, we've talked with Cousin Dan quite a bit on the show about it. I think Toronto not at least tr- offering a mega, mega extension for Vlad is going to bite them. I think... Uh, they're going to be a lot of miles to feed in that Toronto team, a team I expect to pass the Yankees at some point this year. I still do. That's why I started the show with the Yankees are surprising me. <laughs> okay. But Vlad's in this conversation. If I flip to the NL, it's a very different story. Machado's paid. He's the favorite. Arenado's paid. He's right there. Freeman's paid. Then we got Juan Soto. We've had that story before, right? We, we know that conversation. He was offered basically 300 he wants 500. He's worth 500. I don't know where it's going to be, but that's the kind of player he is. He's top three right now in NL MVP. And then Jazz Chisholm Jr. with Miami, which just fascinating situation with that whole team right now. So there's a little bit of everything, but the judge situation from a contractual standpoint would be the most fascinating. Otani to some degree as well. If you go back to back and need a contract, I mean, that's, that's right up there with the Freeman stuff, right? Only years younger a two-way player, internationally polarizing, uh, hopefully with a, with a near World Series winning Angels roster, finally. There's just a lot going on along with the Chowder-Tiny situation that's very, very good for baseball. So I wanted to bring this conversation up now because, hey, it's, you know, the MVP stuff seems stupid in May, and you're going to see a lot of people throw out those names and odds and things like that. But there are some contractual things attached to this right now, big time, actually. I mean, Arenado has opt-outs. Who knows what happens with Soto? You know, maybe he just decides to take $400 million from Washington and say, build around, keep building around me, we'll figure this out. But the judge one is the, is the one that really sticks out to me like a sore thumb because we just kind of went through transparency his entire process. There was a deadline. Brian Cashman came out and said, here's where we were, here's where we started, here's where we got to. He said, no, we're walking away from this. So now we know that, you know, 230 basically wasn't enough. You go win the MVP and the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Like I said, there may have to be a three in front of that thing heading into next season. All right, and last thing quickly here before I get out of here. Uh, I'm going to switch to the NFL just for a little bit. I know I promised a baseball show, but got to pay the bills a little bit here. And it's really interesting. So I've been obviously updating the cap stuff as much as possible with rookie contracts. So I drafted free agents, things like that, really populating the site at this point. And uh, mini caps are underway. We head towards mandatory mini camps really in the middle of June. So we're about a month away from that. But the 49ers are sticking out like a sore thumb to me. They are the least amount of cap space in football. We've got them under a million dollars right now in spot track. And, and polarizing for other reasons too, right? The, the Garoppolo trail hand stuff has not gone away because they have not made it go away. And I think there's a lot of people out there questioning what the hell is happening? Why is everything seem to be in a holding pattern? It, it's Garoppolo. It's, it is 100% the Garoppolo situation, right? Nick Bosa needs a contract. Debo Samuel needs something. And I'll get to that in a second. We haven't heard a thing about Trey Lance. We, we know that he's kind of at least stepping up to these reps. But is he really taking the reps or is he just taking the reps because Garoppolo's injured? And that's where I kept to get back to here. We know about the $7.5 million injury guarantee on his salary, Jimmy Garoppolo. We also know that it's an elongated surgery that he's recovering from, right? I think it's somebody said middle of the summer, maybe late summer. And that's, that's sketchy. The thing is this, 
I'm not even sure you could bring Garoppolo back and have him work out with the team. You know, there may be teams out there saying, look, we're, we'd love to bring him on. Carolina, maybe, right? So Seattle, maybe. But we got to see him healthy. Well, the risk of Garoppolo getting injured in, in one of these San Francisco works out and not being able to pass a physical, that's a financial situation that San Francisco doesn't want to get themselves into. So we know they can shed 20 million plus of cap space, get themselves basically at the top of the league in cap space, be able to pay Nick Bosa properly, be able to do some things like that. I would assume give Debo Samuel the contract he's looking for if that's part of this problem. But they need Garoppolo to be healthy and they need Garoppolo then to work out a deal with them and figure out a, a, a trade situation. My guess is there are offers on the table and if Garoppolo can pass a physical, he's out the door. It's probably that easy. And that is exactly why there's a holding pattern. It is all built on that. And not just where he's going and, and who the quarterback's going to be, right? I, I would assume the plan is we are going to trade Garoppolo. We are going to start Trey Lance. But until then, we are strapped with cap. They, they are. They're the worst strapped team in, in football right now. So Nick Bosa is going to have to hold. Debo Samuel's situation is going to have to hold. And we'll see what happens once Garoppolo is healthy and able to pass a physical. The problem with that is if Debo's really pissed off, if any of that stuff was actually true, and I, I'm not here to believe that it is, I'm just speculating on the possibility that if it was, and he starts to hold out, it's going to get ugly quickly, right? If he misses that June minicamp, it's almost $100,000 that he'll get fined. And then we wait till July. And July's the real one. And you can talk about the fact that, you know, $40,000 daily fines on rookie contracts, that, that's not even the thing. And I've said this before, and I, I think a few people out there have reiterated it. The second Debo Samuel doesn't show up to training camp, he will be a restricted free agent. That's it. It's that easy. That's what the CBA says. It's in there. I can show you the language. I can show you all the language that says, well, the team can just, can just waive that. They can just get by. Nope. They can't even do that anymore. It is set in stone. The second he misses, and it's no longer week one. It's no longer, he, well, if he shows up week six, technically he can still accrue a season. No. That's all gone. That's all gone. The second he doesn't show for mandatory training camp, he will lose the accrued season and he will remain a restricted free agent, which means, he, which means San Francisco basically has all of his rights outside of a, uh, an offer sheet, which they would still have the opportunity to match. Okay, So it's super important. It's really important. My guess is Debo has been fully made aware of this cap situation and this Garoppolo situation. And Garoppolo's shoulder surgery really threw a wrench in everybody's plans in San Francisco. And Debo's pissed off. He wants his $30 million. He wants his, you know, dual threat contract. And I get it. I totally get that. Now, everybody in the world around him, and, and him, I think him specifically as well, have said this is not about money. But that's the right answer. You don't, want to, you don't want to be the guy saying, I need a contract, right? How bad does that look for Kyler Murray? How bad does that look for some other players in the league? It's just not this, the sentiment you want to put out there publicly. Okay, so it's just easier to say, I don't know, the use, whatever was said, I, that, I don't like how they're using me. Well, we all kind of alluded to the fact that, that okay, he doesn't want to be a running back anymore. What if that's just, <laughs> they're, they're using me because they are having him string him along right now contractually because Garoppolo is $25 million of cap space and they've got less than a million to work with and they refuse to re restructure other players and, and, and hurt themselves that way from, from a dead cap situation. It's possible this is 100% financial and that this simply is, you got to wait. Nick Bosa, you got to wait. You're going to be a $28 million player soon. I promise you got to wait. 
Okay. And it's an unfortunate situation. I think they wish they had traded Garoppolo immediately. Didn't work out. And the rest is 2022 and on. You know, Trey Lance's team, we'll see what he can do. I, I don't have much faith in, in the 49ers going forward, uh, at least in 2022. But from a, a team building situation, I don't believe they're about to blow this thing up. I truly believe it as simple as Garoppolo is injured. Garoppolo has a long-term situation to get through, to, reha- to rehab and recoup. Once he can pass that physical, a lot of things will happen. But until then, everything's on hold. Everything's on hold. Now, now you, the answer to, right, the, the, the pushback is just cut him. Just cut him. Well, you'd owe him the $7.5 million, right? He's got guaranteed salary. So is that worth it? You want to pay $7.5 million to cut a guy so that you can pay two more guys? No, that's not what the 49ers want to do right now. Okay, they, they're okay slow playing this. And by the way, if I'm Debo and I'm looking around at the wide receiver situation, I don't hate having to wait here because six guys just got max wide receiver contracts while he was sitting around waiting for a contract. And all those players have different avenues and different, and different you know, usages, but nobody has a Debo, Debo Samuel type resume. Nobody. So... There's a world he can argue for 30. There's a world he can get 20. I think he falls right in the middle around 25 million per year. By the way, his agent has been doing all the work for these wide receivers, the AJ Brown situation, right? The Mike Williams, the Chris Godwins. He's, he's attached, okay? He knows what he's doing with these kind of players. So I think it's an unfortunate situation that the entire organization is in right now. And Debo's just, he, he was originally immediately reacting to the fact that this is the situation we're in right now. It's going to get better, and there's going to be a lot of dollar signs and a hell of a lot of zeros behind it, too. All right. Check out The Athletic. There's plenty of work like this on The Athletic. Start at theathletic.com slash spottrek. Get yourself 40% off. And please, plenty of football names mentioned here. Dynasty fantasy football time for all you big-time geeks out there. Real NFL salaries. You will soon have to make a decision about whether you want Debo at a rookie contract or at a massive $20 million-plus contract on Dynasty Owner. Start now at Dynasty Owner. Dot com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.